Hi, my name is Kyle Bomstead and I'm a member here with Restored Church. Uh, if you're new, we want to say welcome and thank you for tuning in. Uh, we believe the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we would love the opportunity to be able to connect with you. Uh, if you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website at restoredtemecula.church and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. Uh, with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Uh, I'm really glad to be here this morning. I had like several, uh, several like pastor colleagues in different parts of the state um, reach out and be like, so what are you guys going to do? And I was like, I mean, we're going to, we're going to gather if, if we wake up on Sunday morning and you know, like there's, it's chaos. We'll, you know, we'll pivot. We're not going to put anybody, we're going to force people like, I don't drive through a hurricane to come to church. Like, no, we're not going to do that. But I'm genuinely thankful that we get to be here this morning. This is really great. Really, really great. Uh, I think if we are aware of anything, uh, we know what it's like to, to go through seasons where we are unable to gather. 2020, 2021, that was a hard time. And so the privilege that it is to be together as the people of God, um, prioritizing, delivering God praise is really important. So I'm just, I'm just thankful to be here this morning. Uh, we're going to be back in Matthew. You can grab your Bible. We're going to be back in Matthew going through a series that we've been going through for a while now called The King and His Kingdom. And kind of the, the, the heartbeat behind this, this series is, is we want to learn as much as we can about the kingdom of heaven, uh, otherwise known as the kingdom of God, right? The, uh, not just the kingdom, but who is the king? Is Jesus. We want to learn as much as we can about Jesus, the king, and as much as we can about his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. When we say the kingdom of heaven, when we say the kingdom of God, what we're talking about is the rule and the reign of Jesus, so it's, 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 it's when God gets his way, all right? So that's what we're talking about, the kingdom of God. We have been in a portion of Matthew's gospel, uh, what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. So the greatest sermon, the greatest teaching, really, in the history of humanity, delivered by the greatest teacher, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, he basically gives this sermon to help illustrate what the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like. It's been profound, Okay. Uh, people have been studying and looking to the Sermon on the Mount for thousands of years. And for whatever reason, I would say because of the infinite wisdom in it, people keep coming back to this Sermon on the Mount because of its profound implications on, on every area of our life, if we heed Jesus' words, okay? And so interestingly enough, this morning is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. That's the passage of scripture that we're going to be in. And here's the thing, okay, kind of spoiler alert for, for preaching. The end of the sermon is usually the most important part. You're going through this time, and you can, you know, I'm going to do this with you today, but we're going through the scriptures ultimately for a purpose. It's not just to fill our heads with knowledge, it's so that, 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 that the, the word of God might make its way from our minds to our hearts and therefore through our bodies, through our lives. And so Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount today in a pretty, in, I don't want to say intense, but it kind of is. But it's not just intense. It, it's beautiful. And so we're going we're gonna to jump into this right now. Now, again, interestingly, today's passage, it involves a, a tremendous storm. Now, uh, not yet at least, there's, there's not a tremendous storm outside. However, uh, we don't know what the rest of the day is going to look like. But I don't think... I don't think it's a coincidence for us. God has a way of like infiltrating every element of creation to speak to his people. And I think he has something for us this morning. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, flip over to Matthew chapter seven, and we are gonna jump in. Matthew chapter seven. We're gonna start at verse 24 so you can put your finger there. Before we read God's word together, I wanna pray for us. And so will you join me? Let's pray together.
we sang it this morning, Lord, but they're really, they're like, there's nobody like you. You're holy. You're set apart. They're like you're, on a, you're in a league of your own. That not only are you holy, but you're kind and you're patient. You're infinitely wise. You're faithful. This morning, Holy Spirit, my request is that you would help us. You would help us see the more and more the beauty of the king, Jesus, and his kingdom, what it's like, and the invitation that's presented to us. The invitation to the kingdom of God. Not just, you know, after life, but like here and now too. So Holy Spirit, show us the glory of Jesus. Help us. Help me. Help me love and serve and honor through your words. I love you, Jesus. So much. Thank you. All God's people said, amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24, we're going to read through 29. These are the words of Jesus wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, pause. Uh, I think I should get some, uh, some points here because I'm going to give you my first like, main point after the first word of the passage that we're going to read today, okay? So just bear with me. We're going to read the rest, but I have to give you this first point because therefore, like whenever you see therefore in the Bible, therefores are there for a reason, okay? And we have to understand what that reason is if we're going to actually understand what we're about to read. So he says therefore, the therefores are there for a reason. What's Jesus doing there? He's building on what he just said. So he, if you were here with us last week, you know, like Herrick Berger just preached a fire sermon. It was, it was brilliant. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. It was outstanding. Okay, can't encourage you enough. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. But today is basically kind of like a sequel to what Herrick preached on Jesus's words last Sunday. And I want to, I want to, I want to put some of this stuff in front of you because Jesus does. He goes, therefore, and I want you to know what that therefore is Therefore, He's referring to what he said just prior to this. He's talked about two paths. Do you guys remember this? He talked about the, the, the narrow path and the wide path, that all human beings are, are making decisions they're choosing, and they're choosing one of two paths. They're choosing either the wide path that Jesus said leads to destruction, or they're choosing the narrow path that, that leads to life. Like, when I say life, I mean like the way it's supposed to be. And we all know the difference. We all know the difference of like when our life just feels off. Sometimes it can be fun. Sometimes there can be, dare I say, pleasure involved with it. But at a spiritual level, you know, like, something's not right. And if you don't feel that when you're walking down the wide path that leads to destruction, holy smokes, you're in danger. He describes these two paths. And he says, what determines what path you're on is what? Does anybody remember? Obedience to God. Obedience is the, is the narrow way. Saying yes to God instead of saying no. We're talking about the kingdom of God, the rule, the reign of Jesus, the king, right? Obedience to God is what determines which path a person is on. And he also uses a tree, he uses actually trees in general, to further illustrate his point. And what he says is that you can tell what the tree is by the fruit that it produces. Apple trees produce apples, Orange trees produces oranges, right? I want you to imagine with me. <clears throat> I want you to imagine with me that you want to, like, get into gardening. Some of, uh, some of you in the room, I know that you guys garden. You guys do a good job. I've tried to, we've tried to grow trees. We've had a hard time. But let's say you go to, like, Home Depot or Costco or whatever, and you, want, you go there because you want to pick up some trees. You want to pick up some fruit trees, and you go, and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I, you go down the aisles, and you see all the different varying options for you, and, and your eye comes on to, let's just say, an apple tree. And you're like, yeah, that's, there's a label on it that literally says, you look at the tree, you don't know what it is, but there's a label there. And the label's like, apple tree. So you're like, I want to I have apples, cool. You, you, you take the tree, you put it in your cart, you go to the cash register, you pay for it, you bring it home, you do the, like, transfer it from the, the crummy plastic pot into, like, a new cool hipster-looking pot that you can post on Instagram, the whole thing, and then you, like, you put the new topsoil in, and you, you really try to cultivate this apple tree that you just purchased, and it's in your backyard, you know, or your front yard or wherever, and you're, you're watering it, and you're, you're tending to it, and you're caring for it because you want it to produce what? 
Apples, totally. You want to eat those apples. And so you're, you're, you're diligent. Like you're really caring for this tree. And over time, you start to notice, like typically apples are some kind of variation of red. Or even like a Granny Smith apple can be green, you know? And you start to notice like the apples that are growing on your tree, they're not red. They're not like a, a hue of red. They're not even a, a green like a, like, a, like a Granny Smith apple. They're, they're yellow. In fact, they're, they're like a bright yellow and, and, and not like an apple yellow, like a lemon yellow. And, and the, more, the closer that you inspect it, you're like, these aren't apples. These are lemons. These aren't apples. These are lemons. Hear me. What did the label say, though? It said apples. That's why you picked it up. That's why you bought it. But yet, it's producing lemons. It's not producing apples. Hear me. If the tree doesn't produce apples, it's not an apple tree, regardless of what the label says, right? Hear me, friends. What Jesus is alluding to in his therefore, referring back to the previous verses, He's saying that a Christian is a person who produces a certain type of fruit. It, a Christian isn't determined by whatever label. I'll get into that in a second, but he, he talks about that you can tell a tree by its fruit. A Christian is, is, a, is a person who, who produces a very specific kind of fruit. And according to God and his word, it's the fruit of obedience to God out of devotion to him. So not like obedience, um, not obedience that's based on like a transaction. So not transactional obedience, but devotional obedience. Transactional obedience is like, I'm going to obey the Lord so that I get blessed with health and wealth or whatever. Devotional obedience is different. It's, it's I'm going to obey him. I'm, I'm, I'm going to express my devotion to him through obedience because he expressed his devotion to me through sacrifice. The cross, Right? elementary Christianity. But what Jesus is getting at with the tree picture is he's saying that you, what, what determines a Christian is the fruit in their life. But like I kind of referenced earlier, sometimes, man, and I, I'm the most guilty person in the room with what I'm about to share with you, just for the record. But sometimes we Christians, we wear labels that aren't consistent with the fruit that our lives produce. We label ourselves apple trees without producing apples. And I know I'm not the only one. Here's how I've seen it play out. Okay, I've seen it play out like this. My label, what kind of tree I am, <clears throat> my label is determined by where I was planted. What do I mean by that? In other words, like the environment that I'm in. Okay, so who I'm close to. I see this happen all the time. I was raised in a Christian household, right? My parents are Christians. So essentially, my parents are apple trees, therefore I'm an apple tree. Now, that's a beautiful thing to be raised in a Christian household. God willing, all of us in the room were raising children in a Christian household. That's amazing, but youth, hear me. Just because mom and dad are apple trees doesn't necessarily make you an apple tree. What would make you an apple tree? You producing apples, Or how about this one? Like, I hang around other apple trees. I spend a lot of time. My community's made up of mostly apple trees, so that makes me an apple tree. Friends, hear me. What Jesus is alluding to here is the problem is that it's not where you're planted that determines what kind of a tree you are. It's the fruit that you produce. There's another label that we tend to use oftentimes in Christian culture, and that's when I was planted. Man, I've encountered this one so much. It's the like, I've been going to church a long time. I've been going to, long, I've been going to the church longer than this person, or I've been going to church longer than you. Um, this one's especially challenging for me. So I, 17 years. I've, I've been pastoring vocationally for 17 years. It's been, it's been a while. It's gone by really fast. Um, but I began uh, vocational pastoral ministry in my 20s. 
And as you can imagine, people take you really seriously when you're in your 20s. <laughs> Especially people who have uh, more experience in life, right? Especially people who have been going to church longer than, I, longer than I've been alive. Uh, pastoring in your 20s, needless to say, is, is really hard. It's really challenging. Uh, and I can remember different seasons where, man, I just, I, I dealt with a lot of, a lot of trees who were more concerned about when they were planted compared to me than they were of the fruit that was coming out of their life. Which is a fundamental breakdown, a misunderstanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, and then I got into my 30s, you know, and, and to be honest, it didn't improve that much. It did a little bit, you know, my hair started to get a little bit grayer. People would take me a little more seriously. And now, as you can see, it's, it's gray, gray. And I've thought about it, I'm like, dude, I joke around with Herrick sometimes, like, maybe when we're 50, man. Maybe it goes away when you're in your 50s, but maybe it won't be. We'll see. Friends, did you know spiritual maturity, it has very little to do with age. Youth in the room, please look at me. I'm telling you right now, spiritual maturity has very little to do with age. It has everything to do with devotion. In Acts chapter two, it, there's this, it paints this beautiful picture of like when the, the birth of the church, okay, so the early church, and we as, the, we as like Christians, we celebrate the early church because they were, they were radical, man. They experience Jesus in life-altering ways. They get filled with his Holy Spirit and then they start to live in these radical, sacrificial ways. Like they demonstrated radical obedience to God radical devotion to him that led them to do anything and everything that he wanted them to do, including give up their lives. And so we celebrate the early church. It's amazing. But do this when you get home. Go open your Bible to Acts chapter 2. I didn't give you guys the verses. Acts chapter 2, in verse 442, it starts to lay out that these Christians, it says they devoted themselves, and it lists all these beautiful things that they devoted themselves to, all these, these, these beautiful acts of obedience and worship and love and service and just like their life was oriented around him, pleasing him, not transactionally, devotionally, but it says they devoted themselves. Do you know the they they're talking about? In, in verse 41, the, the, the prior verse, it literally describes the people that just got saved. They just heard the gospel preached and responded to it with faith. That faith is trust. It, it's, it's I'm gonna now, I'm gonna demonstrate that I trust this is true through my actions. So these are brand new baby Christians who right now would, let's just, I hate comparisons, not helpful, but like they would put us all to shame with the amount of their devotion expressed through obedience. I think we would all agree with that. We're like, these guys are on it. The spirit came on them and they changed the world. The reason we're sitting in this room today is because of those men and women and their faith. They were brand new baby Christians. Hear me. Spiritual maturity has way more to do with devotion expressed through obedience than it does age. And that's not to throw shade at more seasoned adults in the room. If anything, that's I want you youth to know that God can do spectacular things in your life at a very young age. Within days or weeks of you yielding to his lordship, and expressing devotion back to the one who's clearly devoted to you, so much so that he would open his veins. You guys are going to change the planet. Mark my words. Spiritual maturity is less about when you were planted and more about the fruit in your life. Right? Jesus said, if you love me, you what? You obey my commands. It's, it's a devotional thing. It's not a transactional thing. Uh, maybe just one more uh, kind of false label that I've been guilty of, oh, that I know, I know is just really prevalent in Christian culture. My label's determined by how I was planted. If you want to know what kind of tree I am, just look at how I was planted. That's the whole, like, I have a really impressive religious resume. So, like, I was part of this big, impressive church, or I was, I was discipled by this, you know, Christian famous leader. Or uh, one, that, one that came up fairly recently was I met a guy in 
<clears throat> nice guy. And he found out I was a pastor and he's like, oh yeah, dude, Jesus is great. Like, I was like, dude, tell me about you and Jesus. Like, what's he doing in your life? And the guy just kept referencing. He just kept saying, yeah, I was, I was baptized by Chuck Smith. I'm like, that's cool. Tell me about you and Jesus, you know? Well, you know, when Chuck Smith baptized me, if you don't know who Chuck Smith is, Chuck Smith is, uh, is one, of the, one of the men who God used in a profound way to pioneer the Calvary Chapel movement. I mean, they planted churches all over the world. Like, the, the guy had a seriously amazing, wonderful impact on culture in general, let alone the, Christian, like, let alone the church. So beautiful thing. There's nothing wrong with getting baptized by Chuck Smith. That's awesome. I think some people in our church actually got baptized by Chuck. So this isn't to throw shade on that at all. But I'm trying to have this conversation with this guy. I'm like, no, tell me about you and Jesus. And he kept just going, here's how I was planted. Here's how, no, dude, talk to me about the fruit, the, 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 your, your relationship with you. I was, I was baptized by Chuck Smith. Cool. God was more concerned with how he was planted than the fruit he was bearing. Friends, it's not where, it's not when, it's not how a tree is planted that determines its label. The, the, the label doesn't determine the tree. What does? The fruit. That's Jesus. That's what he's saying. So I have to ask you, I ask myself this question all week, what about you? What's determining the type of tree that you say you are? Maybe you find yourself in a season where you're like, you're more concerned with things that earn you a label than you are with the actual fruit that you're producing. Jesus says the only thing that determines a true Christian is fruit. Fruit of obedience and repentance. And again, not transactional obedience. Not, I'm, I'm going to do this to get something from you, God, but I'm doing this out of devotion to you because you're clearly so devoted to me. It's a response. It's worship. Those two fruits, that's what distinguishes the Christian, friends. And this is Jesus' teaching, the fruit of obedience and the fruit of repentance. Repentance is when you recognize you're not obedient, when you recognize you're not producing the fruit, when you recognize you're relying on the label, you stop. You change it. You, you change your behavior. What an amazing opportunity Jesus gives us to repent. So loving and kind. Uh, just really quickly, when I was growing up, I, I was really into basketball. It was my life for like most of my childhood. And <clears throat> because I was so into basketball, every single day, I was amazing. My parents, they, they, they spent the money and they like, they installed the like good basketball court in the front yard. And I come from the days when, like, when people would just bolt the fiberglass one on the your top of your, you know, your top of your, your, above your garage door, which is cool. We had some neighbors that did that, and it was, it was fine. But, like, my parents, like, they spent the extra money to get the clear one. Do you know what I'm saying? It was such a loving, beautiful thing. But I would be out there every single day practicing on my jump shot because I just was so into basketball. It was, it was a part of who I was, to be honest. But that's what you do when you're a basketball player. When you're a basketball player, you practice shooting. It's what they do. Hear me. What Jesus is kind of alluding to is that Christians, they practice obedience and repentance. It's, it's, it's what they do. And there's not that like false, like I never mess up, perfectly obedient. Like, no, it's like I'm going to blow it because I'm a human being that's infected with the disease of sin and I'm around other people that are human beings that are infected with the disease of sin. And because of that, there's gonna be so many things that I'm not aware of and that I need brothers and sisters to go like, hey bro, you're in danger. And I'm gonna go, oh my gosh, you're right. And now I get to practice obedience. I get to practice repentance, which is turning away from disobedience. It's the reason I use that language intentionally is, is practice. Not performance, practice. How many of you know when you're practicing your jump shot, you don't make all of them? Unless you're Steph Curry, you probably do. But how many misses until he made them? Right? Like, get the, like, get the picture here. Christians practice obedience and repentance. It's, what's, it's what they do. It's the fruit of their life. And Jesus is saying, if they don't, they aren't actually Christians. Here's the intense part. 
They're just wearing a label like a phony tree at Home Depot. So I just spent way too much time on the first word, therefore. <laughs> Therefores are there for a reason. Okay, I'm going to go faster, I promise. Let's, let's go. <clears throat> therefore, verse 24, he's building on everything he just said, right? Everything I just re- referenced. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Here comes the hurricane. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it did not collapse. Why? Because its foundation was on the rock. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them, doesn't obey them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. And thus concludes the Sermon on the Mount. That's how Jesus ended it. All right, I'm going to give you a couple of points that I want to get out of here. I, I have more, but I, I don't have time. A couple points uh, for you. If you're taking notes, write this down. Disobeying God is foolish and leads to destruction. Pretty, pretty straightforward. Disobeying God is foolish and leads to destruction. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Disobeying God is foolish and leads to destruction. A while back, I took my girls to a park here in Temecula. And it was just like, hey, let them, let them play. I'll, I'll chill. Maybe I'll respond to some emails or something on my phone while they have some fun and play. I remember it being it was like, it was a beautiful day. This was a while back. It was a beautiful day. It was at that park. Uh, I, I don't remember what it's called. But either way, it's in town. And <clears throat> the kids are playing. And there's kids everywhere. If you've been to a park in Vancouver, there's kids everywhere. And so I'm just hanging out there. I'm watching the kids. It's a beautiful day. And then I see there's this one, one little kid and he is like playing dangerously close to the swings. And his dad's there and his dad calls him over and he's like, hey, don't play behind the swings. If you play behind the swings, you're, you're, someone's gonna hit, you can get hit, you can get really hurt. Okay, dad, you know, sends him back out, he plays. Five minutes later, that kid is like playing behind the swings again. And I remember, I was like, I'm watching, I was like, this is not going to go well. And then, as you could guess, like, he plays behind, he goes behind the swing, and like, (laughs) kid gets slammed. Some of you are giggling, it's okay. It it was like, if it was in a movie, you'd laugh, but it was in real life, and it was, whoa, man, he tried not to make a big deal about it, but it was like, it was bad. It was like, is that kid going to have to go to the hospital? Like, it was, he got smoked. It was really, it was awful, guys. And his dad gave him very clear directions. And he didn't just say, do this. He told him why he should do He, he told, he gave him a reason. And the kid still did it. Question for you. Is there any areas in your life where you're playing behind the swing? Listen to me. We have got to let the revelation of God as Father like actually make its way into every part of who we are. We've got to get this, guys. It's a big, 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 big deal, okay? Listen, why does a loving father give direction? So their child would flourish and thrive, right? Right? Yes? Cool. Great. That's why dads do it. Loving dads give direction to their children so their children will thrive. Hear me. That's what every single one of God's commands is. Old Testament, New Testament, all of Jesus' directions and instructions in the Sermon on the Mount, all these kingdom laws, right, They're all, every single one of them is for the flourishing of God's children. When a loving father gives direction, it's for the flourishing of his child. 
And Jesus, at the end of the greatest teaching ever, the Sermon on the Mount, he goes, he says, everyone who hears these words and does not obey them is foolish and it's only a matter of time until they experience destruction. I think, I think one of the problems that we face in kind of the modern church is we just, we have a lot of knowledge. Like we know a lot of stuff. Knowledge is great. I'm, I'm thankful for it. It, it can be, it can help transform. You're, 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 you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. That involves like knowledge. It's a big, important deal. But I think sometimes we can have, we can focus too much on knowledge, especially here in the modern church. Because we're not ignorant of God's word, man. We like know it. Like even people who don't really like, like engage in church life and stuff, like they, they know, like they, they, they hear Psalm 23 and they're like, they're not ignorant to the word of God. We hear God's words, but we don't always live them out. The Bible calls that hypocrisy. And it was the thing that I think drove Jesus, I think it was the thing that he despised the most. He would talk about how the prostitutes and the, the lepers and the, and, and the outcasts of society were gonna enter the kingdom of heaven before the hypocrites. He was not a fan of hypocrisy. We hear God's word, but we don't always live it out. James, uh, he's kind of like riffing on the Sermon on the Mount in James chapter one. Listen to what he says in, in verse 22, if you guys have that. This is the NLT. I like this translation is really helpful. This is what James says. He goes, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Why would he say that? Why would he say, if you just hear it, but you don't do it, if you just kind of listen, but you don't obey, you're fooling yourself. Why would he say that? Because a tree is determined by the fruit, right? I'm an apple tree. Look at my label. I'm a Christian, but I don't practice obedience or repentance. I, I live in unrepentant sin continuously, but, but look at my label. It's like that's not the fruit of obedience and repentance, that's something else. My parents are apple trees, though. I hang around with apple trees. I, I've been going to church a long time. I know all of God's teachings. I've heard about, I, I've heard like the Bible stories and, 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 and Sunday school stuff. I've, I, I know all about Jesus. I study the, I have a study Bible at my house. Look at my label. I'm an apple tree. But all the while, the fruit that's being produced is in apples. It's lemons. What Jesus and James are saying is that if the fruit in your life isn't obedience to God and you think you're a Christian, you're fooling yourself because it's not about the label. Disobeying God is foolish and it leads to destruction. So friend, in love, I've been asking myself this question all week long. Are there any areas in your life where you're playing behind the swings? You know the father said, don't go back there. But you're doing it anyway. Here's the thing, guys. It's not just the don'ts when we, that we disobey. Sometimes it's the do's that we disobey. It's not always don't go play behind the swings that we disobey. Sometimes it's like, I want you to do this. I, I, I want you to forgive the way that you've been forgiven. I want you to be reconciled to your brother and sister. I don't want you to rest until you are. I want you to be radically and sacrificially generous. But here's the thing, man. God respects our choices, doesn't he? He respects our choices. He will let you reject his guidance. Dude, he'll even let you reject him. And let's be real, like to reject his guidance is to reject him. 
Jesus says disobeying God is foolish and it leads to destruction. Okay, one more point for you. It's this. Jesus' words here show us that obeying God doesn't prevent the storm, but it does prevent the storm from destroying you. I'll say it again, write it down. Obeying God doesn't prevent the storm, but it does prevent the storm from destroying you. I want you to notice something. The storm came upon both houses in Jesus' teaching, didn't it? It came upon the house where the person made wise choices by obeying God, building his house on the rock. It came on that person too. It didn't just come on the person who built their house on the sand and disobeyed God's words. It came on both. Like I mentioned, like this, this Hurricane Hillary thing, like, I didn't know what to expect. Me and Herrick were joking around about this. We're like, okay, 2020, we had to be experts in epidemiology, race relations, like politics, all these things that we're just like, totally we're not qualified for. And we're like joking, we're like, okay, crap, now we have to kind of be experts, the meteorologists or whatever on the weather. I didn't know what to expect, man. I, I'm like born and raised in California. I've only ever lived in California, okay? Like, I don't know a ton about hurricanes. We have fires. We have earthquakes. We don't have hurricanes. So I started Googling. And I'm still, uh, for those of you who know, I'm still in that old generation that Googles and doesn't chat GPT everything. I'm, I'm learning. I'm growing. <clears throat> So I start Googling hurricanes. I want to know a little bit about hurricanes because I don't know anything about hurricanes other than like friends on the East Coast have had really bad experiences. The wind gets really crazy, right? And so the last time a hurricane hit California, anybody read this? Is that accurate math? It probably is. It is. Wow. She said 84 years ago. I was thinking 1939. She's like, 84 years. Well done, Trace. Impressive. I heard Harrison. Harrison said 1939. Yes, 84 years ago, 1939. That's the last time a hurricane, like in recorded history, like hit Southern California. And so I was like, okay, I want to learn more about hurricanes. Like what, what kind of causes them, those kinds of things. And I'm ignorant. I'm just being honest with you. I, did, I didn't really know. And so uh, I found this, uh, the National Data Buoy Center. Buoys are like those things in the ocean, you know, uh, that, you know what a buoy is. I'm a pastor, man. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> But I want to learn. I want to learn. And so I go to this National Data Buoy Center website, right? And so basically scientists, they use these buoys in the ocean to gather all sorts of data about storms and hurricanes and currents and all these different things. It's really cool. But check out what they said. I put a quote if you guys have that. This is what it said about hurricanes. Quote, hurricanes begin life as a small gathering of unorganized storms which gain energy from the heat of the ocean water. If certain conditions in the atmosphere are present, the gathering of individual clouds will begin to organize into a single storm. So think like a bunch of little storms coming together for one big storm. If the storm continues to feed off the heat supplied by the ocean, the organization of the cloud clusters will intensify and the winds will increase and circulate around a specific center, the eye. You've heard the eye of the hurricane, right? Listen to this. As these storms travel, the wind, rain, and storm surge destroy the shoreline, villages, and cities in their path, end quote. When I read that, I was like, man, hurricanes and sin have a lot in common, don't they? When I say sin, I just mean disobedience to the king. See, sin, it's it's like a spiritual storm that's released into the atmosphere. And and these storms, they always cause destruction. The question is, how bad is it going to be? So you know what this is like. You, you, You choose to sin. And sometimes the consequences are very minimal at least in the short term. And then sometimes we sin and the consequences are immediately disastrous. But just like, like weather storms, these, these, these spiritual storms, sin, they, they can grow in strength. And the next thing you know, you got this hurricane. 
You ever like lied to cover up a lie? Yeah. And the next thing you know, you got a hurricane on your hands. Guys, I felt so convicted this week. Like I really, I called a friend, I called a friend and just confessed some sin that, I, that God brought to my mind. But I was like, I want to get really serious about getting rid of sin in my life. Like it, it's everywhere I turn, it's there. And honestly, I don't have a lot to hide. Not, not like scandalous sin. Nothing that would disqualify me, but like pride. Like I was arrogant with a friend and I called him like, hey dude, like God brought this to mind. I need to like confess this to you and ask for your freedom. I was arrogant. And it was like two years ago or something like that. But like, I'm not better than anybody else in this room, dude. I want to get serious about getting rid of sin in my life. Here's why. Do you have any idea how dangerous sin is? Like, do you have any idea how dangerous it is to play behind the swings? Hear me, not just for you, but for the other person on the swing. When that collision happened, both kids got wrecked. The kid on the swing didn't sign up for that. Wrong place at the wrong time, I guess, huh? Guys, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Like, I have not taken that seriously in my life. When I say that, like, what, 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 the, what the Bible's talking about is how the outcome, the, the outcome of sin is destruction and ultimately loss of life. Not just physically, but spiritually. And we talked about this. God respects our choices, man. How patient is he, huh? Think about fathering my children. He's so patient. I think about the ways that I try to like insert control on my kids. God doesn't always parent like that. He intervenes, don't get me wrong. But he respects your choices. When we choose to sin, when we choose to disobey, disobey, when we choose to play behind the swings, when we choose to release these spiritual storms into the atmosphere, there's consequences. For you, for others, Obeying God doesn't prevent the storm, friends, because you live on a planet with other people. And those other people, they have the capacity to make sinful choices just like you do. And when they do, they release spiritual storms into the atmosphere. And many of you in the room, like you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The sins of other people have like seriously affected you in painful, awful ways. You've run into someone else's spiritual hurricane and you didn't deserve it. You weren't prepared for it. You didn't have time to board up your windows and put everything away. You just experienced the trauma. And everybody in the room, you know what it's like to be responsible for the hurricane that just blows people's houses down. It's called guilt and shame. Obeying God doesn't prevent the storm, but it does prevent the storm from destroying you. How? This is the good part. Union with Christ. When Jesus says, he describes the man who built his house on the rock, he's referring to someone who's united in Christ. Do you know what that means? Okay, we're going to talk about this for just a second. When describing a Christian's union in Christ, the Bible uses the language of being in Christ, the union with him, being in Christ. Get the picture. In him. Let me read you what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter one. This might be, this might be my favorite chapter in the Bible. 
It's definitely on the Mount Rushmore. Let me read it for you. Starting in verse three. I'm gonna read this, and I want you to see how many times Paul references being in Jesus. Okay, let's read it together. I'm gonna read it slow, because this is like, we could preach on these verses for the next 50 years every Sunday and barely scratch the surface of the glory and the gold that's here. But listen to this, okay? Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him, there it is again, before the foundation of the world. You were selected by God before the foundations of the world were spoken into existence. Sorry, I gotta keep going quick. You were, yeah, first four. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Verse five. He predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters. Sons there is about being an heir. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one, that's Jesus. Again, in Christ. Verse seven, it starts off with in him, in Jesus. We have redemption through his blood. Oh, the forgiveness of our trespasses, Do you re- all of them, every sin, every spiritual hurricane, according to the riches of his grace. He's rich in grace. He never runs out. That he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Verse nine, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ. There it is again. Verse 10, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together where? In Christ. There it is again. Both things in heaven and things on earth where? In him. It's there it again. Okay, verse 11. In him, he won't stop. What do you think he's trying to get you to understand? The Christian is in Christ. Verse 11. In him, we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. God gets his way no matter what. Verse 12 so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. Verse 13, he does it again. In him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard, listen to this, tell me if this sounds familiar, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. Not just when you heard it. That word belief, it doesn't mean just acknowledging that something is true. That word belief, it, it, it encompasses it encompasses. Uh, trust expressed through action, right? The, the scriptures talk about how the demons acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. They know, they believe. That's not what's happening here. It's the same thing that Jesus is saying. That person who hears my words and obeys them, who acts on them. It's, it's happening here too. In him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed it, when you acted on it. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Listen to me. Paul's saying that the Christian, hear me, is in Christ. Do you know what that means? You know the story of Noah's Ark? Most of us probably know the story of Noah's Ark. Okay? Noah, good dude. He's living his life God, sp- God speaks to him. God says, hey, I'm going to wipe out the planet because I'm tired of everybody rejecting me. I'm going to start over with you. So here's what I want you to do. He's like, I want you to build this ark. Ark's a big boat, massive boat. I want you to build this ark because I'm going to flood, the- I'm going to bring a storm, I'm going to flood everything. We're going to start over with you and your family. So Noah's like, I don't see any rain. Where's the hurricane? I don't see any rain. But Noah goes, okay, Lord. So he builds this massive ark, right? All these animals, God draws all these animals. They go inside the ark with his family. And then the storm comes. And just 
dumps water on the planet, right? The flood waters rise. And Noah is, and his family, they're safe in the ark. They're delivered. Question, what practically, what saved Noah from the flood? Talk to me. Being in the ark. If he's not in the ark, he doesn't make it. Can we all agree? Being in the ark, it saved Noah. What caused Noah to be in the ark? Bingo. He trusted God by obeying God. His tree produced apples. Being in the ark, it it, it saved Noah. Friends, what saves the Christian? Being in Christ. Hear me. What causes a Christian to be in Christ? Yes. The same thing that caused Noah to get his butt in the ark. Obeying God. Trusting him through obedience. That's what saves us. Friends, that's what faith is. Like, faith, trust, and obedience. You you can't separate the three. You can't. The moment you do, if one of them is missing, all of them are missing. Faith is trust that's expressed through obedience. It's all together. It's It's like a triune God. It's like, I want you to see this. Because people will try to deceive you to make you feel good. They'll present you with some gospel, some, I'm going to cuss, some BS gospel that has cheap grace. As though Jesus' blood doesn't, it's not worth what it's worth. It's priceless. And when we see it that it's priceless, and we see that we could never have salvation, we could never be forgiven, we could never be who God created us to be without his sacrifice, and receiving it, we're fooling ourselves. Like Eric talked about last Sunday, Jesus walking around going, I see dead people everywhere and they don't even know it. Faith, trust, obedience, you can't separate them. If one of them's missing, they're all missing. Friend, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? I'm not asking what you label yourself. I'm not even asking what other people label you. I'm asking if your life is producing the fruit of obedience. Hear me. Noah, obeying God, it didn't prevent the flood. But it did prevent the flood from destroying him. Hear me. Obeying God doesn't prevent the storms, but it does prevent the storms from destroying you. Oh, he's so gracious. He's so kind. He's so patient and he's so loving. All right, uh, I'm gonna call the band up. I will close here in just a minute. I'm going long. Thank you, guys. Okay, just to kind of zoom out, we're gonna, I'm gonna finish up here. I want you to see what Jesus is saying here. I want you to see how he's concluding the Sermon on the Mount, how he's wrapping it up, how he's ending it, pretty much like what he wants you to, how he, what he wants you to take away from this. All of this brilliant teaching, all of this divine instruction, and then he leaves us with something. He gives the greatest teaching and instruction in the history of humanity, and then he says it all boils down to not just hearing his words, but obeying them. Here's the thing, guys. We get to choose. We get to choose. We can build our lives on the pursuit of godly obedience, or we can build our lives on the pursuit of personal preference. But Tom, I want to live on the sand, bro. It's closer to the ocean. I want to play behind the swings. That's where the action is. Friends, Jesus says, for the Christian, listen to me, 
Jesus says, for the Christian, obedience to God is not optional. It's foundational. It's foundational. We get to choose. We can build on the rock or we can build on the sand. But that doesn't change the fact that the foundation of the kingdom of heaven is obedience. That's what it is. Your choices matter. Do you see the amount of dignity that God created you with? Do you see the amount of dignity you still possess post the fall, post sin entering into the planet? Sin, could, sin enters the planet, God could have been so just and good and loving and gone, wipe it all out. And he doesn't. He created you with so much dignity, so much worth. The foundation of the kingdom of heaven is obedience. And hear me, can we just like talk about Jesus for just a minute? Like he modeled that for us, didn't he? Like he modeled it. He didn't just like teach it. Do you have an idea of the, like the, the, the spiritual stress I feel preaching this message to you? Knowing that like I'm more guilty than anybody in the room. Like I need the blood of Jesus so much. The foundation of the kingdom of heaven is obedience. And Jesus modeled it. He didn't just teach it. He showed us the way. I love him for it, don't you? He's not a hypocrite. There's not an ounce of hypocrisy in him. He, he, he radically pursued obedience to the Father, even to the point of death. Scripture says even death on a cross. Why? Devotion, baby. Devotion. Devotion to God the Father and devotion to me. Devotion to you. Like, do you see that, man? It just never gets old. Spirit, wash over us right now. He did it because of devotion to the Father, devotion to you. He's perfectly obedient as your substitute in your place for every time you said no to God, for every time you played behind the swings and said no to God, he said yes. Yes, Lord. And he offers you that perfect, he wants to credit you that perfection. He wants you to be in him. You get it? clothed in righteousness that you didn't earn, but it's offered freely to you as a gift. Good God is in the gospel, wonderful. And he includes an invitation, doesn't he? That invitation to union with him, being in Christ like Noah was in the ark. The king shows up and doesn't obliterate his enemies. He invites them into his kingdom to sit at his table. And he offers them his own blood so they can do it. It's just bananas. Gets me every time. He's so flipping worthy of our obedience, man. Isn't he? Now, really quickly, how much I'm so late. I don't want you to misunderstand something. Just really quickly, okay? Obedience, it doesn't earn the kingdom. What it does is it exposes it. Your obedience doesn't earn the kingdom, it exposes it. Obedience to God doesn't earn your place in the kingdom, it simply exposes your foundation. It reveals to you in the world what you're building your life on. It reveals the kind of tree that you really are. Here's what I want to do. I want to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount kind of the way that Jesus does with this loving invitation to wise living. This like spectacular, like this, this, this loving invitation to repentance and obedience. It's a loving invitation to the kingdom of God where he rules and he reigns. It's God getting his way. And so here's what I want to do. If you're here and you, you genuinely say to yourself and you say to God, like, I desire to live a life pursuing obedience to God, not transactionally, devotionally, not to twist his arm to get something from him. That's religion, right? Religion's like, here's what you can do to get right with God. Christianity is like, here's what God did so you could be united with him. 
So if you're a person and you're like, I genuinely desire to, to, to live a life where I am practicing obedience to God out of devotion to him, not transactionally, I'm gonna ask you to stand where you're at right now. And here, here's the thing, like this isn't a game, like you're not standing before me, you're standing before the Lord. Remember we talked about how faith, it requires action to demonstrate that you're actually trusting in that? That's why I'm having you stand right now. Because there's power in it. If you're standing, what I want to ask you to do is I want to ask you to close your eyes. Not to be overly spiritual, but to focus spiritually. And I want to invite you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you where you're not practicing obedience. It's like, God, where am I forfeiting your kingdom in my life? Let him speak to your heart right now. We're gonna wait a moment. God, highlight areas of disobedience in my life. Show me. shows you, insert the gospel. Jesus is your perfect substitute, making a way for you to practice repentance, reorient your life around obedience because you're, you're a chosen and adopted son or daughter who he dearly loves. Remember, you can't earn. You can't earn it. It's an inheritance. When he reveals it to you, just know, right, right now in the moment, if he's revealing something to you, you're faced with a choice. And the choice is to hold on to it, to keep playing behind the swings, to keep building your house on sand, or to simply receive his forgiveness and start practicing obedience. What we're doing right now is we're being Christians. We're practicing repentance. Just like I practice jump shots in my driveway. Every day. Not one shot, like hundreds. Turning away from disobedience, turning away from sin. Trees reveal themselves by their fruit. People reveal themselves by their choices. Father, I pray that we would be people who choose the kingdom of heaven, who choose your kingdom, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in me as it is in heaven. And I pray, Lord, that in this moment right now, that, that, that people that are, that, that for whatever reason, they may be holding on to guilt, holding on to shame. I pray the gospel of Jesus over them right now the blood of Jesus, the power of the blood of Jesus to, to cleanse us from every impurity. Whew. Jesus, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. I thank you for your love and your faithfulness. I thank you that you don't give up on us. You keep inviting us. The fact that you haven't returned to the earth yet to judge it and completely get rid of evil, it demonstrates your patient love. Your, 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 your desire for us to turn away from sin and practice obedience and repentance. Your kingdom. Teach us, show us, free us from the bondage and the effects of sin, we pray. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. We want to praise you right now. Amen. Okay, sake of time, there's 10 minutes. Forgive, forgive me, but uh, ministry team, prayer team, will you guys come forward? There's gonna be trusted men and women up here that are making themselves available. What we're gonna do right now is all of us responding to the goodness of God one of two ways. Uh, uh, as a priest, someone who orients their life around praising him and adoring him and worshiping him because he's worthy. 
The band's gonna lead us in that, opportunities to praise, and others of us, maybe you're having trouble, actually the gospel moving from your head to your heart. Like I hear it conceptually, but you don't know, Tom, I've just done some really bad things. You're having a hard time actually receiving it. Let these trusted men and women minister to you. Let them pray over you. Maybe there's something else going on. Maybe you recognize brokenness that you just want to be delivered from. Maybe it's someone that you love dearly. Maybe, whatever, there's opportunities to come forward as a patient in need of the physician in heaven to, to bring healing and wellness. Priests praising him. Patients receiving grace from him through his people. That's what we're going to do for the next 10 minutes, okay? Love you guys very much. Let's enjoy him together. <laughs>